This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. I want to tell you about a great new podcast called Outside the Box. If you're a maker, an innovator, or even just a consumer who wants to peek behind the curtain of some of the world's greatest organizations, you'll love it. The latest episode features interviews with the visionaries who are creating systems that bring our work, and more importantly, our workforce, into the 21st century. Because although we're plugged in at home, when it comes to the workforce, we're lagging behind. Listen to Outside the Box in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Ben Mathis, and welcome to Kick-Ass News. As you probably know by now, I'm a big reader. I'm also known for sharing good books with friends and family, and the one book I've given to more people than any other is a short, easy-to-read little tome packed with lots of life wisdom called Happiness is a Serious Problem. I've been wanting to have the author, Dennis Prager, on the podcast ever since I started this show, and today Dennis and I will sit down for a wide-ranging conversation covering everything from politics and religion to relationships, suffering, and of course, happiness. Dennis Prager is one of America's most respected talk show hosts. He's been broadcasting on the radio since 1982, and his highly popular program, The Dennis Prager Show, airs live Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to noon Pacific and noon to 3 Eastern out of his home station at KRLA in Los Angeles. He's frequently appeared on C-SPAN as well as Larry King Live, The Early Show on CBS, The Today Show, The O'Reilly Factor, Hardball, Hannity, and The Dennis Miller Show. Dennis Prager has also written seven books, including the aforementioned bestseller, Happiness is a Serious Problem, as well as Still the Best Hope, Why the World Needs American Values to Triumph, Think a Second Time, Why the Jews, the Reasons for Anti-Semitism, and the Nine Questions People Ask About Judaism, which is still the most used introduction to Judaism in the world. His writings have also appeared in major publications such as Commentary, The Weekly Standard, The Wall Street Journal, and The Los Angeles Times. In 2009, Prager started his educational website, Prager University, which offers five-minute videos on various subjects such as the Ten Commandments, the Minimum Wage, the Middle East, global warming, and happiness, of course. And to date, PragerU has received over half a billion views. Dennis Prager also periodically conducts orchestras and has introduced hundreds of thousands of people to classical music. And yet, somehow, even that seems to cause controversy for him. Today, Dennis Prager will talk about the politicization of his recent symphony concert at Walt Disney Concert Hall in Los Angeles. He'll caution that the war on opioid addiction may have unintended consequences and explain why he says the media is a greater threat to America than Vladimir Putin. Dennis Prager also warns that America may be in the middle of what he calls a second civil war, and it's not the kind of civil war that you're thinking of after Charlottesville. In fact, I should point out that this conversation was recorded before the violence in Charlottesville, so that's why you won't hear anything on that subject in this interview. But you will hear Dennis discuss why he says if he had his choice, he'd spend all of his time talking about what he refers to as the really big issues instead of politics, why he spends so much time thinking about human suffering in the world, and then Dennis Prager talks about his philosophy of happiness and why he believes it's not just a feeling, but a moral obligation. 
Plus, we talk about his love of a good cigar, the time he shared a stogie with the great George Burns, and why his vocabulary sometimes gets a little salty in that notorious L.A. traffic. Coming up with Dennis Prager in just a moment. Dennis Prager is a popular nationally syndicated radio host, a best-selling author, and a syndicated columnist who's regularly published on townhall.com, National Review, and the Jewish World Review, as well as the Wall Street Journal, the LA Times, and Commentary, just to name a few. He's also the founder of Prager University, an online educational organization that produces free short videos on subjects important to the understanding of American values. Mr. Prager, thanks for having me over for a talk. Pleasure. Welcome to my home. Happy to be here and happy birthday or happy belated birthday. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're early by 360 days. That's another way to look at it. Okay. (laughs) So either way, thank you. Now, are you one of those guys who thinks it's silly for adults to celebrate birthdays or do you throw a party? Do you do some reflecting? How do you acknowledge uh, the day? I'm a big believer in the importance of birthdays, actually. But I'm not a party fan, so they're two separate issues. And I, I, but I do attach significance, and people should call you up or send you a text or a card. I think it's a nice thing to do. It's your day, one out of 365 days. So I've always, <laughs> I've always thought it's significant, but I've never wanted a birthday party. This was a real exception, and, and it was an exception. <laughs> Okay, forgive forgive the fact <laughs> no I, I do have dogs here. What are yes. what are the dogs' names? Otto, Snoopy, and Peanut. And you have a bulldog. You have a basset a, hound. A basset hound. Yeah. And a. And I don't know what guy, Peanut he's, is. He's a mix. Yeah. I don't know what he is either. We inherited him because his father unfortunately died. His father is the father of my stepsons, and he killed himself. Uh, he shot himself. Uh, about uh, half a year ago, I wrote a whole column on that. Why my why my stepson's father committed suicide, and I'm mentioning it because I'm quite angry about the situation. In our understandable upsetness over opioid addiction, we have made it almost impossible for vast numbers of people with horrific pain to get pain relievers. This man had f- fallen off a ladder, done great damage to his abdomen, and the horrific pains that he had internally could have been relieved, but doctors in California were too afraid to prescribe drugs that uh, kill pain because of our war against addiction. So what we've mm-hmm. done is we've done nothing about addiction uh, or little about addiction, and we've caused innumerable people intense suffering which could be relieved and that's the only reason he killed himself he loved life and i'm i'm I'm, I'm, I'm really angry and you, you people don't know this they, they unless they're in the situation they don't know uh, how many people are deprived of painkillers which is uh, almost sadistic but mm-hmm. anyway that's back to the reason that's why we have the third dog 
I know that Chris Christie is hoping that the president will take his recommendations on opioid addiction. I don't know what Chris Christie's recommendations have been. Uh, it's, It's hard to know if there is a federal or even state answer uh, to the problem because the the harder you make it to get opioids the more people who need them right. it's not it's not like cocaine you know that should just be banned but opioids yeah. have a an, a moral necessity to them it's a very complex issue well you've never shied away from complex issues no <laughs> you, well, that you, i don't you, i don't shy away from anything <laughs> you you have grappled i think with some of the most fundamental questions of human existence throughout your career like why does evil exist uh, why are we here how could a just god allow the holocaust to happen is there one particular question that gnaws at you the most i've always been troubled by the amount of unjust suffering on earth this is, it never leaves me. When you read about uh, World War II and the aftermath, what people have gone through in vast numbers, if you're sensitive to it, it never leaves you. And it bothered me when I was a kid in high school, and it bothers me as much today. I think it was your first book was Nine Questions People Ask About Judaism, and you later wrote a book about anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. As a Jew and as someone who has faith, how do you reconcile that when you look back at the Holocaust and all the suffering? God allows human beings to choose to do evil. And as soon as that allowance was made, evil ensued. Mm-hmm. So what, the only choice was for God to create a creature that couldn't do evil. And, and, and the only creatures that can't do evil, I guess animals can't, because they don't have a knowledge of good and evil. Whales play with seals in a sadistic way, but they, they don't do it out of <laughs> free will. And But ultimately, we would really, we would have to be sort of like flowers or, or trees or robots. But I my answer is ultimately, this is, this is what God created, and I spend my life trying to influence people to take uh, the God who demands moral behavior seriously the God of the Ten Commandments. And I don't know of any other possible solution to the problem of evil than ethical monotheism, the belief in the God who demands ethical behavior and who judges us accordingly. This country, the USA, was founded by ethical monotheists. They were Christian in in a general sense, most were not Christian in a theological sense, but every one of them believed in a God who judges and intervenes. You mentioned your upbringing in liberal Jewish New York. Um, I know that you were raised fairly conservative religiously. Were they also politically conservative, your parents? No, no, no. They weren't leftists. They were mm-hmm. liberals. They were classic liberals. Mm-hmm. Liberal meant open-minded. Yeah. The campus is now run by the left. There was no open-mindedness. Mm-hmm. There are people who were trying to stop me from conducting at the Walt Disney right. uh, Music Hall because <laughs> uh, Music Center because I am uh, I'm conservative. I, I, it's really astonishing that, in fact, the New York Times is is now on the on the on the on this story that it, it, it if we've gone from banning speakers who might speak conservative ideas to banning 
a musician uh, yeah. who will not even speak. I wave my baton <laughs> because you know I, I'm. A, it's an avocation of mine conducting. I'm a very serious musician, but uh, it's it's really it's a phenomenon. They are that frighteningly closed-minded on the left. You're supposed to conduct Haydn at mm -hmm. Walt Disney Hall, actually. What is it, August yeah, 6th? August 16th. And there were, what, two or three musicians who said that they wouldn't play, and then mm -hmm. they said that they didn't want you to conduct at all, even if they weren't there. One of them, uh, and needless to say, uh, the, lead, uh, the letter was written by three or four people, and two of them were professors at UCLA. I'm having one on my radio show. One won't come on. Oh, are you on. really? Oh, yeah. I love to have people who have contempt for me on my show. So they're going to make their argument for why mm -hmm. you why shouldn't I'm be allowed to play music. Right, right. Huh? why I should not be allowed to conduct and why I'm a bigot. This yeah. is what I always like wow. to hear. I want the evidence that I am a hate-filled mm -hmm. bigot. And, and I mean, they wrote it out. I, I believe, uh, I, I, as a religious person, I believe that the, marriage of the, of, uh, that the definition of marriage should have remained a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. You could say I'm wrong. That's perfectly legit. But why, if that's hate-filled bigotry, then Barack Obama was a hate-filled bigot till five years ago. Yeah, that's true. And Hillary. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But they saw the polls and they changed their mind. You know, going to a liberal college like Columbia, I think you went there for your master's degree and left before you've completed your master's yeah, degree. Yeah, it's an interesting story. And you wrote a book instead. Yes. I, I, Is that uh, a bit of a rebellion against no, no, the liberal institution? No, it wasn't actually. No. I'll tell you what it was. It, it there's both a really noble and a really pathetic reason why I didn't finish my master's degree. I gave my master's thesis. I was in the Russia Institute at Columbia at, right. the, at the School of International Affairs. My uh, instructor, the man who supervised my thesis, was Bignia Brzezinski. He was, wow. he was the head of the Russian Institute at the time, and he was the big communist affairs guy, and that was my field, mm -hmm. communist affairs. And I gave my thesis orally. But I don't touch type, and I I didn't have it in me to then type out on page after page, and then with an error rub it out with you know er erasable white white out whatever it was. And I thought if I'm going to spend that amount of time typing, I'd rather type something that will actually be read. I decided to write a book explaining Judaism. It became the best selling. English language introduction to Judaism. And and I wrote that at 25 years of age. Right. And it's still in print. Yeah, it was called The Nine the Questions, nine questions people, people Ask, people about, ask Judaism. about Judaism. Yep. Now, it wasn't really geared toward practicing Jews, but to non-practicing Jews, even well, non-Jews and geared, atheists, right? It was, it was geared to non-Jews, mm -hmm. atheists, to Jews who were secular, Jews who were not Orthodox. I'm not Orthodox, but I'm, I, be, I, I believe... I'm not orthoprax, I'm orthodox, <laughs> which means I don't practice as much as orthodox Jews do, but I do have orthodox beliefs that God gave the, that God is the ultimate writer of the Torah. That's my belief. I'm writing a 500,000 word commentary on the Torah to make my case. That's the biggest project wow. of my life. Exodus will be out in April. The first book will be Exodus, interestingly. Now, in reaching out to non-practicing Jews, non-Jews, even atheists, that kind of goes against my idea of Judaism when I think of, you know, the rule where the rabbi is supposed to turn you away three times before he'll talk to you about converting. Well, Do you feel that a right, religion are, should reach out more? Well, 
there are two separate issues. It is not a, incumbent upon Jews and never has been to, to bring people to Judaism. Mm-hmm. Judaism doesn't care what your religion is. It cares if you're a good person. Mm-hmm. God judges everyone, Jew and non-Jew, by their deeds. That's, that's the Jewish belief. I think it's a very noble and terrific belief. That's ethical monotheism. Of, now, what has happened is many Jews have, have gone overboard, some Orthodox Jews, and, and discouraged people from becoming Jewish, which mm-hmm. I think is wrong. People should be encouraged if they want to be. But I, I don't, I'm not trying to convert people to Judaism. I'm trying to convert people to ethical monotheism. If they, and if they're an ethical monotheist as a, an evangelical, as a Catholic, as a Mormon, as just an ethical monotheist, I am just as happy. The number of people who call my show or write me to tell me they, they went back to church after listening to my arguments for God and religion is very heartening to me. Mm-hmm. I probably brought more people back to church than almost any living pastor. <laughs> uh, and, I, uh, and, and, and more people to synagogue than almost any living Jew. It's a very interesting uh, life I've led. <laughs> I'm very proud of that. I have no compunction about saying it. And it, is, it, it gives me a great deal of comfort. It's interesting how important your religious views are to you, and yet you're able to work with someone like Adam Carolla on this new project that you have, this documentary about political correctness in universities. Here you are, a Jewish conservative. He's an atheist libertarian. How did a project like that come together? Adam Kroll and I share virtually every value. Really? We're not theologically the same, but we are morally almost identical. See, my belief is, aside from all the other aspects of conservatism, conservatism is common sense. The further left you go, the more you abandon common sense. You enter the realm of suspension of common sense, and you enter the realm of faith but, but truly far more irrational faith than any religious person I know. I mean, to believe that there's no such thing as male and female, I don't knock the idea that there are some people with gender dysphoria, people who are cursed, and I think it, I think it, I say it in a, in a totally sympathetic way. It's like you know, being cursed with, with some other debilitating thing. To believe that you are not the sex that your body is i mean you you have you have two x chromosomes you have a vagina you have a uterus you produce eggs you have breasts <laughs> and you produce milk but you're a man it, now that's a disconnect now, with well, reality well all right yes ways, now that doesn't mean though if you undergo surgery and you look like a man and talk mm-hmm. like a man i will recognize you you that's really? what, the, what the yes, that's fine. Interesting. Uh, yes, absolutely. My problem is with those who maintain the physiological aspects of the sex they're born and still want to be referred to as the other sex. Mm-hmm. That's not fair to society. You're asking us to enter a disconnect that that is not rational. Mm-hmm. But if you undergo the surgery and you look like, talk like, and act like the other sex, I'm not going to give you a hard time. In fact, there would be no reason for me to because I wouldn't know it. Isn't that the point? There are beautiful transgendered women out there. Whether they're beautiful or not, they're women. (laughs) And if they have become a woman, Mm -hmm. I I will refer to them 
in that way. But uh, we're having something far worse now. We have males who identify as women who compete against other women in sports. And then they just defeat them in, in mixed martial arts, right? In MMA b- boxing yeah. or fighting. They're one of the strongest women alive, one of the strongest women fighters, was given a concussion in under in two minutes, in under three minutes. She said she had never met a woman with such strength. And of course, because it was a man who identifies <laughs> as a woman. Yeah. Is that fair? It does seem a little unfair. It's completely unfair. <laughs> and it's happening in weightlifting. It is happening in track. And uh, these are the compassion people. Mm-hmm. What about the compassion for all the women who want to compete with other women? A few years ago, you started this nonprofit online educational group called Prager University, which produces free short videos on subjects important to the understanding of American values as it's described on the site. Was this born out of your fight against political correctness? It was born in large measure out of my fight worse than political correctness. We, we are seeing the, the moral upheaval in Western society. One of the most obvious examples is For the first time in American history, I would say at least half of American college students have a negative view of America. This has never happened. This is another victory for the left in its moral sickness. Like when I asked Howard Zinn, the most famous left-wing historian, I had him on my radio show and asked him, does he think that it was a good thing that America was created? And uh, he did not think so. So Prager University was created to give over the truth, number one, moral clarity, number two. And it has succeeded to an extent that I can't even say I dreamt. I dreamt for a million views a year. This year we will have 500 million views. Wow, that is stunning. It is stunning. We're the largest maker of non-entertainment videos, I think, in the world. Yes, because the animal one that beats us is entertainment, I think. Yeah. No, no. It, I, I it's think that really... might be questionable whether it's Right. Okay. Well, some find it entertaining. I'm sure I would. But we are changing minds. That's mm-hmm. the thing. There's no, there are many great conservative sites. Believe me, I, I love them. I work with them. But very few change minds mm-hmm. and very few change minds in large numbers. The biggest single uh, age group watching Prager University videos is under 35 years of age. Yeah, I think that's what I've always appreciated about you as a radio host and what you're doing with Prager University is that unlike other conservative talk radio hosts, you're not just regurgitating talking points all the time and going back to the same political position. You speak about a lot of broader issues, which goes back to everything from religion and monotheism to good versus evil uh, male-female relationships and, right. uh, and happiness, things like yeah. that. Is that the key to luring people in and actually changing people's minds, it's one talking key. about something more relevant to yes, their lives? Yes, perhaps? well, relevance is a big factor, but it is one key. Mm-hmm. It's not the only. The We give some of the finest minds through an extremely elaborate process of editing and editing and editing what they say every one of whom, and these, these are Pulitzer Prize winners. Every yeah, like one Paul of Paul Johnson. Whom, well, Paul Great Johnson. Historian. 
Yeah, he's not a Pulitzer Prize winner because he's a <laughs> Brit, but he he's I think he's arguably the greatest living historian. Mm-hmm. And I agree. We've had Paul Johnson. I mean, we've had. I mean, Charles Krauthammer has given a course, and George Will's given a few courses, and Alan Dershowitz, believe it or not, has given really? a few courses. Uh, it's if you have something important to say, we want you to say it. Mm-hmm. But my point is, we edit everything they say, not mm-hmm. because they're not terrific, but because they are writing when they submit their 750 words, mm-hmm. which is essentially five minutes, 750 words. When they submit it, they are really submitting a column. But if we had them read a column, people yeah. would fall asleep. Yeah, It has to be written in a way and delivered in a way that will keep people's interest mm-hmm. and make one or two points. And that's successful. Plus, they're very, very professionally illustrated. Top people getting top money. Every one of these videos costs a fortune to make. But we have people who donate. It's a, it's a tax-exempt organization. We, we need people to help us. They do help us. We need more because the more we have, the more we'll market. My dream, this I do dream, I want to influence the whole world. There's no reason with the internet why you can't. Yeah. See, here is a very major belief of mine. If an idea is good, good it's good for everybody not just americans or not just christians when i started teaching torah it only jews took my class because it was given at a jewish seminary and it was the torah after all but gradually word got out to non-jews that it's irrelevant if you're a jew because prager doesn't think that it only speaks to Jews. As I said in every opening year session, I would say I am teaching everybody of every background, atheists, Christians, everyone, because either the Torah has something to say to everyone or it has nothing to say to the Jews. Mm -hmm. The idea that it only has something to say to Jews is as absurd as saying vitamin C is only good for Presbyterians. That's the way I would put it every time. We're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with more with Dennis Prager when we come back in just a moment. Hey, guys, do you hate shopping for clothes? Well, now there's an easier way to get better clothes, Bombfell. Bombfell is an online personal styling service that helps men find the right clothes for them. And unlike other services, there are no fees to work with them, so it costs nothing to sign up. It's simple and straightforward. All you have to do is complete a questionnaire, and a dedicated personal stylist will handpick pieces specially for you. Then, once you've viewed your selections, you'll have 48 hours to make any changes or even cancel altogether. You're in total control, and you only pay for the clothes you keep. Plus, you have the option of receiving clothes once every one, two, or three months because Bombfell is on your side, and they don't make money if you don't find something you want to keep. 
I just got my first order from Bombfell. I gave my stylist my measurements and answered just a few questions about my style and what I like. He came back to me with a hand-picked outfit just for me. My stylist selected a beautiful sports jacket made out of high-quality linen, perfect for the summer, along with a button-down and a polo shirt that go great with my new jacket or on their own. I was able to change the color if I want, and if I'm ever not in love with the selection, I just say so and my stylist comes back to me with a totally new selection. And these weren't some weird off-brand items. We're talking quality, fashionable clothes that fits great. Plus, it was easy and fast, and I didn't have to waste a lot of time in a store. I love good clothes, and that's why I really love Bombfell. Best of all, I've negotiated with Bombfell to get my listeners a special offer of $25 off your first purchase when you go to bombfell.com slash kick. That's bombfell, spelled B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L, dot com slash kick. And now, back to the show. You also lectured on Russian affairs when you were in grad school at Columbia. Um, I'd be interested, given your background on Russian affairs, to hear your take on the Russia hacks and more broadly on Putin and the U.S.-Russia relationship. Just five years ago, Barack Obama poo-pooed the Republican standard bearer, Mitt Romney, when he said that Russia was our number one geopolitical enemy. Right. The whole <laughs> left laughed at him. But now that it's all of a sudden in their interest, see, they, the left doesn't ask what's true. They, it's, not the, it's not the animating question. In the Russia thing, it's not what is true. Mm -hmm. It's what will benefit us in seeking power. I'd like to know what's true. I don't I'd know like what's to get true. Some kind of result from. I, I don't know what's true. Yeah. Why do, isn't do it? Why isn't it a headline? Did. I have okay. no idea what they did. Okay. Neither do you, and neither do the Democrats. But do you believe that they did hack the election? No, I don't regardless know. Regardless, I do not know. Or no collusion. I do not know. Really? I do okay. not know. Okay. And and the reason I do not know is that the DNC won't give its computer over to over to the FBI. Oh, interesting. And they've been asked to. Interesting. They've refused. <laughs> why is that not headline every single day? This is day number 207 in the <laughs> refusal of the Democratic Party to hand its computer to the FBI. <laughs> yeah, and you recently tweeted that the news media in the West, you felt, pose a far greater danger to Western civilization than Russia does. What did you mean by that? Well, I wrote what I meant by it in my next column, Oops. but I stand by it. The only thing I, I wrote in my next column, I wrote, I regret one thing. I should have said the universities. Western universities and oh, okay. Western media. I, okay. I, did, I should have included universities. <laughs> a Putin is not teaching American youth to prefer socialism to capitalism. Mm -hmm. You know that. That now right. at least half of American uh, uh, college students think that socialism is preferable to capitalism. Has Putin done that? Has Putin voted to remove American flags? Caused American flags to be removed from campuses? Has Putin caused the University of Pennsylvania English Department to remove the poster of Shakespeare because he's a white male? Is that true? Yes. Oh, my God. I know, and it's a scandal that it's <laughs> not shocking. better known. It is, yes. He's a dead white, he's a dwem, a dead white European male. <laughs> the fact that he's the greatest player, they don't even believe that. New York Times had a piece last week. President was wrong. They're the chief of, I'm, I'm deeply involved in classical music, as we mentioned. Right. Uh, so I read all this stuff. When the president said, you know, Western civilization, you know, among our 
great achievements is the symphony. And so the head of uh, the, the, the leading music critic of the New York Times right? why is the symphony any better than Indonesian gamelan music? Now, I happen to love <laughs> world music. Yeah. I love music, really, from almost every society, but I was not familiar with Indonesian gamelan music. <laughs> so since the New York Times chief uh, music critic said, well, you know, uh, no, Beethoven's third is not superior to Indonesian gamelan music, <laughs> I decided to look up gamelan music on YouTube. Yeah, how'd you like it? <laughs> well, I played it on the air, and I let people judge for themselves. Now, obviously, our ears are not attuned to this. The only thing I could say, I don't mock gamelan music. If it emotionally moves Indonesians, it's terrific. And I mean that sincerely. That's the purpose of music in many ways, to emotionally move you. But nobody outside of Indonesia plays gamelan music. But everybody on earth who has, right. a, who has access plays Beethoven's third. <laughs> because it is the greatest music ever written. The, the only point I'm making is that Western... You asked me about Putin. Yeah. Putin is not undoing Western civilization. Uh, Putin has not told Western Europe, bring in tens of millions of people who don't share your values. Mm -hmm. I've written books that I wish everyone would read, and I'm going to recommend the book of another author. Okay, And that is Douglas Murray and the book The Strange Death of Europe. The man is a uh, is an atheist and he's gay, so he has all the qualifications <laughs> all the that the that the left would love, and he writes about the suicide of the West, and it has okay. nothing to do with Putin, but it has everything to do with the media and the universities. Uh, do you feel like Romney did that? He is our geopolitical foe, or Russia is? Yeah, I don't think that's yeah. the greatest foe. I don't. I, I don't. I don't think I'm not this as scared of Russia as I am of North Korea or right. Iran. Mm -hmm. Iran, Iran is the greatest foe on earth today. Uh, Russia has not vowed to annihilate another country. Right. And it is, it, but that means nothing to the left, mm -hmm. nothing who were keen on, on the Iran deal. So it, 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 it's like, it doesn't matter that another Holocaust is promised mm -hmm. by the leaders of Iran, the greatest supporters of terror on earth. Now you could say, well, and the Russians are helping Iran. I agree with you. True. I think the guy is disgusting. But you didn't ask me, do I think he's disgusting? <laughs> you asked me, do, do I think that he is the reason for the unraveling of Western civilization? <laughs> and he's not. Well, speaking of disgusting, prior to the election, you were fairly opposed to Trump on I, I think not fairly grounds. not fairly <laughs> aggressively aggressively <laughs> and you eventually came around to him once he was the nominee um which I said I would in my yeah. first article in National Review condemning him I said but if he gets the nomination I will support him well, how did you once he got the nomination how did you rationalize that as someone who had opposed the way I did it the way I did it while I opposed him mm -hmm. anything is better than a Democrat <laughs> No, it's as simple as that. Yeah. The left is the enemy of this country. I'm sorry. Not liberals. Did I say it enough times? Not liberals. <laughs> the left is destroying Western mm -hmm. civilization. There is no Republican destroying Western civilization. Mm -hmm. The left is. It is undoing the American Revolution. They believe in unlimited government. They believe in open borders, which means they don't even believe that America needs to be America. Yeah, I mean, you've called it, in fact, I think a second civil war, right? It is a second civil war. If exactly. the first one was about slavery or states' right. rights, depending on who you ask, 
what would be the fundamental underpinning of this second civil war? Is, is America and its founding ideals worth surviving? Mm-hmm. Are they worth surviving or not? Mm-hmm. The left does not believe so. They believe uh, in an America that is Norway between Canada and Mexico. <laughs> Well, on a lighter note, uh, I'm also a huge fan of your book, Happiness is a Serious Problem. I've actually given it to many friends, probably at least a dozen friends over the years. I owe you Going money. through divorces and all kinds of hardships, and I haven't had anyone say that they didn't get something out of it. Um, I like that you say that happiness is not a feeling or necessarily a state of being, but it is an act and even a moral obligation. Um, you explain it better than I ever could. So what is your philosophy of happiness? For those of your listeners who don't know, I, I, I have a national radio show. I'm probably on in their city. And every Friday for, since 1999, I have devoted an hour to happiness. It does not matter what is happening in the world. I have never, never once, even after 9-11, I broadcast the happiness hour. And uh, that is because, as I say in the introduction to that hour every week, the happy make the world better and the unhappy make it worse. (laughs) I am on a crusade against uh, unhappy people. I'm not talking about people in North Korea. They have a total right to be unhappy. I'm talking about people who inflict their bad moods on others. It's leftism in part is a psychological response to misery. You, everyone has misery. One of the questions you have to grapple with in life, if you're an American, is America the source of my misery or is life the source of my misery and my own nature? Conservatives blame their own nature and life. The left blames America for their unhappiness. Yeah, and one of the things that I like about that book is that you acknowledge that suffering is a part of life and if you go through life expecting that you're not going to suffer and that's the key to happiness, you're inevitably going to be disappointed. Is this acceptance of suffering and this determination to seek happiness in spite of it something that comes to you innately when you come from a people who've suffered for 3,000 years? That's a very good question. I don't know the answer because most Jews are on the left. <laughs> so they, they, I don't know, they don't they have a different attitude, I think. So I don't know if it's because I'm a Jew. I'm very much in touch with all that suffering and wrote a book on Mm anti-Semitism. What happened was I gave one lecture on happiness at UCLA. For about 30 years, people have subscribed to my lectures. They just get them periodically, first on cassette tape and now download. So I gave one talk on happiness I was sure it's the only talk on happiness I'll ever give. And people got it. I then got a call about a year later from the women's magazine, Red Book. The woman tracked me down. This is pre-internet. It was hard to find people. But she tracked me down. She was the articles editor for Red Book magazine. So she said, is this Dennis Prager? I said, yes, this is so-and-so, articles editor at Red Book magazine. And I remember thinking... I think you have the wrong Dennis Prager. (laughs) Why would the (laughs) articles editor of Red Book magazine be calling me? She want an article on ethical monotheism? (laughs) So she said, I'd like you to write an article on happiness. So I'm so not, I so don't know how to push myself. I remember saying, why? 
<laughs> I didn't understand why she was calling me for an article on happiness. So I said, why? And so then she said, I'll tell you why. I, I, I heard your lecture on happiness. I said, and I'll never forget what I then said. I said, really? You subscribe to my lectures? She said, are you kidding? I never heard of you. I, I didn't even know you produced lectures. All I know is you were on New York radio one night, and I stayed in my car the whole lecture till I found out who gave it. I said, wow. my whole talk was on New York radio? She said, you didn't know? <laughs> sure enough, this old, this, I don't think, I don't know if it's in business anywhere, WEVD, this station, which broadcast in Yiddish and in Korean and in Chinese. And anyway, Totally, totally illegally. I was going to say, did you get a commission off this? Commission. I didn't know what <laughs> happened. They, it was completely illegal. I could have sued them for a fortune, but these people changed my life. These crooks made much of my life possible. So she said, it was so good, I had to find out who you are. So would you write an article? I said, okay, I'll be happy to. So I wrote the article. They published it. Then I get a call from Random House. Has a great article. We'd like you to write a book. And again, I said, book. I'm lucky I had an article in me. <laughs> they said, no, 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 sir. These are great ideas. Anyway, to make a very long story short, which is I've already made it too long, what happened was, in answer to your original question, I had so worked out for my life a systematic way of of being happy despite tragedy and sadness that since I'm no different from any other human, what worked for me works for others. Mm -hmm. So I merely had to put in print what worked for me. And now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a source of happiness for a lot of people because of the happiness hour, the happiness lectures right. and the book. Yeah, it's kind of turned into its own little industry. It, it, it truly is, yes. It's the best-selling book I ever wrote. I was just going to ask if that's yeah. your most popular oh, book. Oh, by far, yeah. Well, one of the things that brings you happiness is a good cigar. In fact, if people are wondering what the the hissing sound and the puffing right, sound is, I'm having a cigar with right. you right now yep. in your den, which is something out of a Victorian gentleman's club, I think. This Correct. Perfect setting for it. Yes. I have to ask about Cuba policy then. When it comes to Cuba, which tastes president, the cigar aficionado in you or the champion of democracy and human rights? Well, here's the amazing answer. I don't like Cuban cigars. Really? I beg people to give me Nicaraguan, Honduran, and Dominican. And it has nothing to do with the fact that they're communist. Nicaragua's communist, mm -hmm. and they make, uh, they and Dominican, and well, they all three make great. Uh, I don't care. I don't like the taste of Cuban cigars. Really? Yep. I, I overwhelmingly, I smoke um, the. Well, 100%, I smoke those other three countries. Yeah. And most of the time, it's Nicaragua. Partially because I love a very strong cigar, mm -hmm. and, and that Nicaragua produces Dominican Republic tends to produce milder cigars, but they're also fine. Well, I've also heard a lot of cigar aficionados say that they don't smoke Cubans anymore because the fields have gone fallow, and they're not, they don't actually produce very good cigars anymore like they used to. Well, I don't Castro. know why they don't, and I'm not saying they don't. There are people yeah. who may like it. I don't like the taste of, okay. of Cuban cigars. I, I, I just don't. They're, yeah. they're, they're bitter to me, and uh, they're not yummy. 
I know it sounds odd to somebody looking at a cigar who never smoked one to think <laughs> of the word yummy, but they are yummy. Otherwise, I wouldn't smoke them. <laughs> well, I read once that you smoked a cigar with George Burns. What was George Burns like? You know, that's interesting. Uh, so what happened was a man called me, said, I'm George Burns' accountant. <laughs> George Burns loves your radio show. Really? And he'd like to meet you. And then I thought, okay, it's one thing not to pursue celebrities, but it's another to say no <laughs> to a legend. Yeah. I'm, I am going to go to George Burns' house to the, just, just to tell my mother I did. <laughs> who did, by the way, go crazy. I admit, my, my mother did seek out yeah. celebrities. She, she any Jewish mom would eat that up, Oh, I, sure. I got to say, in this case, ethnicity doesn't play any role. Yeah. I think mothers, George Burns of that generation, yeah. that was the guy's a legend. Mm -hmm. He was in his late 80s, maybe 90 even. And uh, sure enough, he had three cigars and a couple of martinis. And I fell in. It was great. I fell in like a straight man. And I said, you know, George was curious. What does your doctor say about all the smoking and drinking? <laughs> and he said, well, Dennis, my, my doctor is dead. <laughs> and that, that was one of the great lines I was ever <laughs> told. Uh, I, I love being with him. He... Uh, he spoke much of the time about his love for Gracie, his mm -hmm. wife. And I'm, I'm very interested in, in male-female relations. I have a male-female hour, just like I have a happiness hour. And listening to him lovingly talk about his wife and their marriage, she had died years earlier, telling me he still sleeps on the same side of the bed you know, tells her things before he falls asleep. That was very moving to yeah. me. Yeah. How long were they married? I mean, that was one of the great it love stories. It was one stories. of the great love stories. Yes, it was. And I asked him how they met and stuff. And I always love hearing those stories. I am as interested in the micro as in the macro. That mm -hmm. is atypical of talk show hosts. The thought of talking politics 15 hours a week uh, is to me nightmarish. <laughs> If I, if I had my druthers, I wouldn't talk about it almost at all. My first urge is the big issues. Mm -hmm. And that's the third dedicated hour I have. Once a week, I have an hour called right. the Ultimate Issues Hour. Yeah. It's about the big issues. Yeah, People, not just politics, but life, yeah, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And of course, God, which is the ultimate issue. Well, I've used up more of your time than I intended to this evening. You've been such a gracious host. Well, you're, you're a good interviewer. Thank you. Before we wrap up then, I just have to tell you one of the most amusing things I ever heard you say is I was in a group uh, when you were speaking a few years ago, and I heard you say that you're a big believer in the judicious use of swear words. Right. At the risk of sounding like James Lipton, do you have a favorite swear word? Or you could give me the first no, letter I don't or decline. No, the truth you is I decline. don't have a favorite one. <laughs> okay. um, but if you, the if, and I rarely do use it, the truth is, but if there is a time I am most likely to use it, it is uh, when a driver is going slowly in the left lane. Yeah. <laughs> I, people always remark on how calm and cool I am, which I am. But I, they don't see me in the car when there are slow drivers in the left lane. I really let them have it. I mean, you know, the windows are closed. They don't hear me. Although I, I do fantasize having a 
a police bullhorn <laughs> and saying to them what I think. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you? Do you not understand? This is for passing, but okay, don't, don't get me started on, on that. Well, folks, if you ever were on the 101 and there's some guy tailgating you, it may be Dennis Prager. <laughs> That's right. Prager. It may be. If it's you're the, if you're going slowly in the left lane, it may be me. All right. There you have it. Mr. Prager, thanks so much for taking time and to talk to my me. My pleasure. Thank you. Many thanks again to Dennis Prager and his lovely wife, Susan, for having me over to his man cave for a good cigar and a good conversation. Dennis was also kind enough to invite us to his classical concert last night, and in spite of those who tried to politicize the event, I'm happy to report that Walt Disney Hall was packed to the brim with fans. He didn't even mention politics once, and it turns out the guy can really conduct an orchestra. So thanks, Dennis, for a terrific night of music. His nationally syndicated radio show, The Dennis Prager Show, airs weekdays from 9 to noon on the West Coast and from noon to 3 p.m. on the East Coast. To find your local station and learn more, visit DennisPrager.com. Check out some of the great Prager University educational videos at PragerU.com. And while you're there, consider making a donation to support the great work they're doing. And follow Dennis Prager on Twitter at at Dennis Prager. Be sure to subscribe to Kick-Ass News on iTunes and leave us a review while you're there. Don't forget to take our listener survey. It only takes five minutes at podsurvey.com kick. You can visit Kick-Ass News on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at at kickassnewspod. And be sure to recommend Kick-Ass News to your friends on your social media. And if you really want to help out, then donate to our GoFundMe campaign at GoFundMe.com slash KickAssNews or click on the donate button at KickAssNews.com. As always, I welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions at comments at KickAssNews.com. For now, though, I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kick-Ass News. Kick-Ass News is a trademark of Mathis Entertainment, Inc.